0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. This week's guest comes from my old stomping grounds in southern Wisconsin, where he teaches writing in uh, Madison. Uh, John Galligan is the author of many books, including the Fly Fishing Mystery Series, which has the Blood Knot, a Cinch Knot, and others. He also wrote the Bad Axe County Series, which includes Bad Moon Rising and Dead Man Dancing. And he has a new book releasing, Bad Day Breaking. He's joining me today to talk about writing and storytelling and his latest project. So, John, thanks for being here, and congrats on the new book.
1: Thanks, Stephen. I, I didn't know that your stopping grounds uh, were southern Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, how about that? So, I actually grew up um, in a town called Watertown, which oh, is... Watertown. Oh, okay, yeah. It's between Madison and Milwaukee. And um, so, grew up there as a kid, get back to visit. My mom still lives up there, Um So uh, whenever I get back to the air, I always enjoy it. Um, Have you ever heard of Boscobel, Wisconsin? I got to ask.
1: Of course I have.
0: Okay. Well, there's a cave there called Boscobel Bear Cave. That was my favorite cave to go in back when I lived up in uh, Wisconsin. So we would go cave exploring in Boscobel Bear
1: Cave. Wow. now, I don't know about Boscobel Bear Cave, but that area of Wisconsin is full of caves. Um, yeah, and the first the first book in my series the uh, uh, Badaxe County has significant uh, cave action in that oh wow yeah, it's it's a the the geology there is is uh, full of full of caves. so I might have to check out Boscobel Bear Cave.
0: yeah, if you go cave exploring, you have to look into it. I know um there was the I think every cave probably has. I mean, just about every cave probably has the corkscrew, they called it, but way at the bottom, if I remember right, there was this place where you had to kind of, um, I guess you would say, twist your body all around to get through this, into this little room. And I still remember going through there and one of the, uh, the, I was leading a trip and one of the students got stuck in the corkscrew and he couldn't move forward or backward. And uh, I was stuck in this little cave hole um this little room trying to convince him to just relax
1: back up go forward oh my god that's scary caves are scary I, I yeah I uh I probably would have stopped at the corkscrew <laughs> yeah. I, I guess if I was young I would have gone into the corkscrew but right now I, the corkscrew would turn, would turn me back
0: yeah no I I hear you <laughs> for sure so but it's a beautiful area of the country and I remember You know, there are a lot of outdoor opportunities. There's actually rock climbing nearby, not too far Mm -hmm. The Devil's Lake uh, State Park. And so, yeah, it's fun to fun to reminisce a little bit about uh, growing up uh, up there in the cold. My dad said that that when he was a kid, it would get so cold sometimes in Wisconsin that when you spoke, the words would freeze in the air outside of your mouth and you'd have to snatch them up and fry them in a frying pan just to find out what you were talking about.
1: Yeah, that's, we do that all the time. That's standard <laughs> standard business. This area of the country is really the area where my, where my novels are set. Um, it's the driftless area. And what, what makes it so beautiful is it was bypassed by the, by the most recent glaciers so that it's unglaciated, which accounts for all that, all the, all the caves, all the rugged terrain uh, and so forth. And so that's why I chose that area to write these, these novels. And it's a very distinctive and and beautiful and rugged uh, part of the midwest
0: yeah no that's 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 cool um are, are, are you familiar with the word coulee like um like these little um i don't know if they were actually formed by glaciers or maybe they were missed by glaciers kind of like valleys within the hill over near the. yeah of coast. course
1: that, that's what the, that's called the coulee region yeah yeah the coulees yeah. are actually formed by uh when there was a a glacial there was a a glacial lake uh and the dam broke and it was the it was the runoff from that massive uh event that carved those coolies um so yeah coolies is what we all you know every other road out there is called you know something coolie (laughs) willow coolie dog coolie that kind of stuff
0: and um and your series is based uh, up in that. Now you made up your own county, I think, right? I did. Uh, Bad Axe County, which is, mm-hmm. by the way, a good title for a county.
1: I mean, you know. Well, it was uh, it was the name. It was the real name of a of a real county, it, it, Vernon County, which is in that area. Used to be called Bad Axe County. Oh wow! Um, yeah, um, back back in the in the, I think it was the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and I'm not sure why it was changed, but there's a there's a Bad Axe River and the Bad Axe Watershed um, right in that area. So I, I created a fictional county wedged it in between two existing counties, uh, right up against the Mississippi River. <clears throat> the Bad Axe County, uh, Bad Axe River is where, is the river where the, um, I don't know if you if you know the Blackhawk story, it was the last armed conflict with Native Americans east of the Mississippi um, hmm. and this band of two or 3,000 uh, SAC uh, Indians were pursued across Illinois and Wisconsin and then chased up against the Wisconsin River and massacred at the mouth of the Bad Axe River. Oh, wow. That's so that's uh, It's a storied place. Um, yeah.
0: No, I didn't know. No, I didn't know that story. I mean, uh, I knew that there were, you know, quite a, quite a number of uh, yeah, legends lore, and lore and different stories with Native Americans in the area and stuff. But no, I hadn't heard that. That's, you know, that's tragic, but, um, but, um, powerful story. Now, um, do you ever rely on kind of regional, maybe folklore it to weave into your stories or, um, uh, I mean, mainly they're crime and mystery stories, uh, but, um, but I I didn't know if that was something that was ever in, of an interest to you, kind of some of the lumberjack stories and lore and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, actually, one of the I mean, the second the second book in the series, Dead Man Dancing, um, weaves in a very a very interesting uh, uh, bit about local history, which was that the uh, one of the northernmost stops on the Underground Railroad was in that area, huh. um, and. As a result of that, um, there was a large, relatively for the time, a large settlement of, of escaped slaves who um, <clears throat> integrated with the recent immigrants from Europe who had no had no baggage, you know, r- around slavery. And so there was a there was a a, a large multiracial community where there was intermarriage and and um, Black businesses and, you know, black and white kids going to school together. These are, these are, you know, recent European immigrants. So there's this really fascinating history uh, in the, in the 1860s through about the 1820s or 1920s. So yeah, my second book actually goes into that and then uh, uses that history to sort of build the mystery off of.
0: Now when you're coming up with your mysteries, I know people have different you know techniques some people outline some write organically. Um, do you try to write yourself into a corner where you're like, I don't know how to solve this or do you start with a solution and kind of work your way backwards?
1: Yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I i try I, I try to I try to outline and figure things out and then um when I try to follow my own outline, I usually run into trouble. <clears throat> and, um, when I, you know, when I calm, you know, after I, I run into a, I write myself into a dead end. And when I, when I calm down about it, I realize, oh no, this is good. Hmm. Um, because this is where I want to be. I want to, I want to be in an impossible situation. And I want my characters to have to figure out you know, how to, how to get out of it. So I I do both. I plan, but when the plan goes wrong, I sort of embrace that and and see that as an organic moment in the story where everybody needs to figure out what to do, including me.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, I, I write organically. And so whenever I start a book, I never know how it's going to end. And so what happens is like, I try to write myself into corners because that's where all the best ideas come to me. Like my biggest twists and stuff have always come where I'm like, I literally don't know what comes next. And yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: it's um it's it's interesting for me that a lot of people who are pro outlines and structure and so on will say, Oh, don't write by the seat of your pants or don't write organically because you might write yourself into a corner. And I'm like, exactly. And that's exactly <laughs> where I want to right. be. So yeah, it's fast. It's gotta
1: be the right kind of a corner. It can't be a corner <laughs> that you've created because you've made uh some sort of illogical decision earlier. You know, that's, that's what I find. The corner's fine as long as you've got there, honestly, but if you've gotten there because you've done something, um, I call it idiot plot because you've created an idiot plot because somewhere back in your story, you you know, you've, you've, you've made a a mistake. Hmm. Um, So that's the distinction for me is sometimes I'll find myself in a corner uh, that I don't really want to get out of, that I'm into in the wrong way. And so I have to back up and undo something else. But the corner that you're talking about is, yes, we want that. We want everybody <laughs> to, feel, to feel cornered and trapped and to have to find their way out.
0: Um, so one of the things you just mentioned was this idea of logical, like if, if your story is logical. And um, let's just explore for just a sec. I, mean, I, I know stories, we want them typically to be believable, because if they're not, readers will be like, I don't buy it and usually tune out. Um, but this idea of that a story should be logical, I agree with. I just don't think it's taught that much. I mean, the stories are causally related. The events of a story are causally related. So something happens causes something else to happen, and everything should, I think, be logically um, kind of growing from that first that first moment, that first um, cause yeah. that uh, that gets the story rolling.
1: I find that, you know, when I make a mistake, it's because I've violated that logic in some way mm. <clears throat> that I've had a character do something that, that they, they wouldn't or sh- or shouldn't logically do, given the situation that i have put them in or not do something that, you know, uh, that they do something. They do A and they should have done B because yeah. the logic of their emotional situation of their conflict requires them to do what they would do, not what I wanted them to do.
0: That's good. Yeah. I sometimes tell people, you know, the goal is to ask yourself, what would this character do if I got out of the way? And it's like
1: that's a good, that's a good way to look at a it. A lot of times, you are...
0: know, we we get them to do stuff because we want it to go in a certain direction, everything. That's and... the
1: problem with planning, is, yeah. is that you can you can be so enamored of your plan um that you make your characters do things that, that aren't aren't natural.
0: Now I noticed that you wrote an article for Crime Reads, uh the website about eight great Crime novels that we typically don't find on the crime or mystery novel shelf at bookstores, and some people might classify them as literary novels, mm-hmm. and, uh, but but at their core, they're really mystery or crime novels. Um, what is that? Do you think that causes books to be sort of stuck into a certain genre, whether it's mystery, crime, thriller, or let's say <laughs> literary? And do you think that actually helps the books or, or find an audience, or do you think it gets in the way of us finding the books?
1: That's a really good question. In my case, I think it it sort of gets in the way. I, I yeah. feel, um, I feel the industry. I mean, the, the, the industry itself is designed for that. We all, the, everybody, wants to know what it is and where to put it and how to miss, how to sell it. And yeah, I really feel like in my career, I've been, and I've you know. Probably done this to myself more than any anything, but been been sort of cornered into a into a genre that doesn't totally fit my work, hmm. um, and and that's why I'm interested in these things in these novels that that get put on the fiction shelf as opposed to the crime shelf. Yeah, that are really about that are really about crimes. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I think you know pretty much pretty much all good fiction is about a crime and some, on some level, you know it's it's about some kind of a transgression, some sort of a, a conflict. Um, and I think that <clears throat> we can we can we can get forced to to I think one of the things that happens is when when you when you have a a, a literary a book with a literary style on the crime shelf, um, a lot of crime readers pick it up and they don't know what to do with it. You mm. Know? Mm. They can't relate to it. They don't it doesn't conform to their to their expectations. And so I think there's a there's a there's a problem with the books on the literary end of crime getting onto the crime shelf and, and having trouble there.
0: So now you said that sometimes you've maybe written yourself into a place where I mean, people don't always find your books like they want. How would you describe yours kind of literary uh, crime mainly or uh, more like mystery? Or how would you, if you were, if someone were to say, "What what is your book even like about?
1: What is it even, what is it even about? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, I think mystery is probably the the worst way to describe it in some mm. ways. Yeah. Because uh yeah there there is a mystery there's there's a crime and and part of part of it is figuring out who did it but it's much more about what's going to happen if we don't figure it out oh yeah and 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 who it's going to happen to and why we care about those people and why those why those conflicts and why the why the bigger picture is 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 meaningful to the reader and the culture yeah. and, and and everything else um so you know the the who done it aspect is sort of a, I don't know, I guess it's maybe a catalyst in some ways for for a bigger story.
0: No, yeah, that's interesting. Um, When you're talking about, you know, crime writers and literary and stuff like that, I thought of this author that um, I really enjoy, Thomas H. Cook, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he writes, you know, he writes crime, I think. He's won some Edgar awards and, and stuff like that, but but I feel like his his stuff is kind of a mo- little bit more literary. And so I always enjoy, uh, you know, when I pick up one of, one of his, his stories, I think that, you know, people make this differentiation very often. They'll say, well, is this a plot driven story or a character driven story? And it always bugs me when people do that. Cause it's like, um, I think every story is a tension driven story. And sometimes that's internal or external or mm. impersonal and stuff like that. And, And because i don't know if they want to you know again stick it into a genre or or something like that but but i think all great stories really do delve into some of the things you mentioned with character characterization the motives the consequences the stakes Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) i agree i know i guess i didn't set it up as a question i was just like oh yeah that's and, and i caught myself just thinking out loud basically but
1: i think and i think the way the market works is is it's you know the people that are that are uh you know selling our work yeah really want that easy hook that they can Mm -hmm. you know that they can use as a tool when i understand that that's important but sometimes that you know I think the best books are kind of bigger than that. Yeah. It's hard to talk about them in that way. I mean, t- think about a Cormac McCarthy book or something. I mean, th- there's no there's no easy hook there. Those are those are Yeah, there's plenty of crime and violence and Yeah. and mystery, but you know, you can't you can't put a you can't put a quick label on it. Yeah, it's uh it's
0: fascinating because I've worked for, you know, written for different publishers over the years. And, and very often the marketing team is, okay, like, you know, what is your brand? Like,
1: What's your brand? Yep, yep that's the and, question, and, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I'm
0: like, I don't know. You tell me what my brand is. I've done fantasy, science fiction. I've done young adult crime, suspense. And I'm like, you tell me. And they're like, oh. <laughs> they, they yeah. Because it makes it easier, I guess, to package and uh, and sell exactly. But, yep. But um, but you're right. I think a lot of books span a number of you know genres, and and finding them is is not always easy, uh, you know, for what you're looking for. Um, now, John, I know you also teach writing, as I mentioned earlier, and um, you were telling me uh, that you teach, uh, you know, in Madison and living up in that area, and and so on. I was curious when you teach. What are some of the aspects of craft? that you really try to emphasize for your students.
1: Well, the biggest one is is going to bore you, but because we all have heard it a thousand times, but it's show don't tell. <laughs> I mean, and and that is often the hardest that that is the biggest challenge I think for any writer and especially for beginning writers. It's really when you have an idea, you need to find a concrete expression of it Hmm. Uh, when you have an emotion you need to find a concrete expression of it when you have a motivation it needs to be concretely expressed through imagery action dialogue description and that's the that is just the core of the craft and and it's so the reason that people tell um is that it's easier um it's it's easier to summarize something in, in abstract language than, than it is to do the the nitty-gritty work of mining the you know mining your imagination for that perfect five word image that conveys a particular kind of anger you know that kind of thing so i mean that's that's really the most fundamental thing that i that i try to talk about and and there's you know i will I will hammer away at that all semester long, and usually by the end of the semester, there's a handful of students that have that have gotten it, and the, mm-hmm. and they're they're grateful. It's like, oh, I now I you know I I finally see what this is about. And other other students seem immune to it; they, <laughs> I mean, they never know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> so let's say uh, for people listening, and they might say, okay, well, I don't know exactly what the difference show and tell and so on like that. So let's say you have a character, and he's really angry. Uh, that um, I don't know that his son isn't listening to him, so he comes into the um, the living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be an example of telling people about that scene? Like, would he you? He was just...
1: really angry. He came into the living room really angry.
0: There you go. Okay, okay. So, so the
1: problem there is so so. There's the word "came," uh-huh. which is just a, a bland, summary, catch-all verb. So, uh, showing would would mean. That you choose a verb that creates an image of a of, of physical image of how he came. He stomped into the room, did or something he, along those lines. Did, did like. he stomp? Did he? Did he fly? Did he? You know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then angry. Well, personally, I can. My anger can look about. You know, can can manifest itself in many ways. Hmm. Some of them are subtle. Some of them are obvious. Uh, you know, people get angry in different ways at different times for different things. And if his son isn't listening, you know, this is probably a chronic thing. And so it's, it's not even a, that word angry is the problem. That word angry is a telling word because it's telling you what the emotion is in an abstract way, instead of showing you what kind of emotion, what's the history of this emotion is this a new emotion? Is it an old emotion? Is it chronic? Is it acute? Is it, um, is it physical? Is it written on his face or is it in his body language? Uh, does he say something in a certain way or a, a certain, does he use a certain word? Those are all examples of taking the abstraction of came angry mm-hmm. into how he came and what the anger, how the anger was expressed. Okay. Yeah,
0: no, that's good. And, um, and, uh, so, A lot of times, I think people taking their work and, um, you know, saying, especially with emotional um, scenes, you know, instead of just telling us how they're feeling. The other thing that sometimes people will do is they'll show us first and then tell us. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: yeah, like someone will write, you know, he he stomps into the room. Angrily. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, angrily or, you know, or kicked over the thing and and then at the end of the paragraph they'll say he was angry you're like well okay i yeah. think i got that you know from everything that you you know explained so
1: well that that writer uh has got is on the right track <laughs> just doesn't trust the image oh yeah yeah you know i mean that's what adverbs are all about usually is is you you, you don't you don't trust the verb that you've chosen so um yeah i mean it, it it's that is, I think, the crux of writing. I think that's and I think that's the hardest part. And I think we all have days as writers when we're naturally able to show things and other other times when we know what we want, but we're not sure how to express it. So we tell and move on. And then in the in the revision process is often a matter of going back and finding all those areas where basically we were talking to ourselves um, when we said angry yeah, uh, we're kind of leaving a, leaving a, a trail for ourselves and we go back and figure out, okay, what did I mean there? What did that look like? How was that shown? Telling is easy. Um, you can cover a lot of ground when you tell. Um, and And telling generally leads to people, I think, s- summarizing a bunch of actions. Uh-huh. He would do this. He always did this. Instead of finding the one moment in the scene, when we understand that this is how he always does things,
0: do you think that there is a time to tell or summarize uh, scenes, or or do you feel like most of the time you really you know dial in with the with the showing um, the specific ex, external um, you know way of of portraying what internally is going on in the character.
1: Yes, there is a time for telling. I think some of that has to do with style. Some of it has to do with the narrative distance that you've chosen for the story. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And some of it has to do with the concept of proportion. You don't want to show all the time. Yeah. Because when you show all the time, the reader becomes overwhelmed with with detail and doesn't know what's important. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so sometimes you're going to frame your showing with some telling. Um, sometimes telling is important for transitions. Uh, sometimes it's a function of narrative distance. In other words, how close your, you are to your, your narrator is to your focused character across time and space. So if you've got a wide narrative distance and you're telling a story about something that's happened in the past then telling is a lot more natural, it has to do mm-hmm. also with point of view. Mm-hmm. Telling doesn't, telling is weird in first person <laughs> generally, For, like first person, present tense. Uh-huh. Telling this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but first-person past tense from a from a great narrative distance. I'm, I'm, I'm relating the story of something that happened to me when I was a child. It would be perfectly natural for that there to be a sort of a push-pull between telling, where the story sort of moves forward and things get framed, and then showing where the where the story um, focus dials in on a moment and shows a particular crucial moment.
0: I think that's interesting. And I like how, you know, you take point of view into consideration when you're, you know, thinking that through and also the movement of the story and the moments and how close we are and the action all, because I think, um, I think there are, like, I agree, there are times where telling seems to be more um, appropriate. And, um, but I think that, I think that you know, the flavor of a story can be really muted if you don't do a lot of showing. Um, if you just do a lot of telling, it kind of becomes um, just a series, sometimes just a series, of, uh, a record of events that have occurred.
1: Yeah, you lose intimacy, I think. And I think you lose engagement, reader engagement. That's what I think what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, re- when, you, when you show something, but you don't t- tell what its meaning is. hmm Um, you actually engage the the imagination of the reader. The reader has to join you. The reader has to provide the meaning from their own experience. So the image penetrates their own memory bank or whatever. And that is the moment of engagement. If you tell them what's going on, there's no reason for them to get engaged because they're not stimulated. You know, this is an unconscious thing. We don't read and try to figure out what you know, whether he's angry or not, we 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 receive the image and our mind tells us what the what the you know what the meaning of it is. And I think if you if you bypass that and tell the reader what's going on, they lose their intimacy, they lose their engagement, their involvement.
0: How important would you say that the character's intention is for uh driving the scene forward? So, or is it vital, do you think, that readers know that intention
1: that we do as as writers i think we 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 as writers need to know what it is and Uh, i think and i think we need to we need to show it and i think readers need to feel it yeah Um, i think every every scene is about a conflict every scene is about character a one character one wants x and character two wants y and and the scene is the the contest over those over those conflicting conflicting wants yeah. whether that's subtle or obvious. Um, and we don't say so, we just show it. And we let the tension and the and the the meaning of that conflict soak in.
0: I used the example in my book, Troubleshooting Your Novel, just about actually from Wisconsin, musky fishing. I don't know if you've ever been musky fishing.
1: But... Of course I have.
0: <laughs> but we went musky fishing. Muskies are big fish. Like You can't even keep them if they're too small, but... But anyway, so if you catch, uh, if you hook a muskie, it wants to stay in the water. You want to get it in the boat. And so that's what creates tension in the line. That's what creates the tension is because you have mutually exclusive goals. The fish gets what it wants. You don't get what you want. If you get what you want, the fish doesn't get what he wants. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of just what you were saying about, you know, character A and B have different, you know, conflicting goals.
1: And as and as a writer, you don't start you don't sit there and talk about abstractly about what the fish wants, yeah. what the fisherman wants, right? You don't need you shouldn't, at least. <laughs> um, you know, that's shown and it and it and it's it's obvious from what the from what the what the images are. Yeah. That's a great example. I like that.
0: Yeah, tell us so tell us a little bit about your new book, the one that um that's just coming out. Love to hear kind of what makes it unique or you can share or as few spoilers as you want, but the, the name was bad day breaking.
1: This, this is the fourth novel in my bad Axe County series. We talked a little bit about bad Axe County earlier. It's a fictional County in a real part of real part of Wisconsin. Um, and um, it features a uh, sheriff, Heidi kick, who's a young woman who's who's been thrown into the job of sheriffing a, a small rural conservative, uh, County in Wisconsin, and um, this is her this is her fourth her fourth episode in the first book she's she's an interim sheriff because the existing sheriff has has died. Uh, She gets herself uh, reelected and reelected again through the series, I don't know uh, how it is where you live, but but in Wisconsin sheriff is an elected position, which makes it really interesting a a sheriff has to get elected every few years so yeah. um. uh, you know, there's, there's all the politics involved in that. Um, in any case, uh, this, this fourth book in a series is, is an interesting one because, um, it was, it's, it's my, it's my COVID book. So it, like, like all of us writers w- back when, when March, what was it? March, 2020. Yeah. when, 2020. when the, Everything seemed to be coming apart. Um, was when I was starting to, uh, conceive of this next book. And, mm-hmm. I think, like a lot of writers, I was trying to figure out, well, what what does the f- future look like? I set my books in you know contemporary moment mm. um, and try to try to avoid being real specific about it. But I, you know, I I could look ahead and see that this was not going to be over anytime soon, mm. given the arc of my character. Whatever I write about next is going to be taking place like during this moment that we yet that we are yet to understand. Um, and so, like a lot of writers, I, I face the whole idea of, well, do I, <clears throat> do I embrace this and, and, and reflect it? Do I pretend it's not happening? And, again, you know, the book at that point is not going to come out for another year and a half.
0: Right, it, yeah, yeah.
1: Who the hell knows? Um, so, anyway, I, I, I decided to sort of take it down the middle and think about the consequences of, um, of loss, um, hmm. I could see already that you know people were losing their jobs, they were losing family members. There was economic displacement. Um, people's careers were people people were losing their you know closing the the businesses that yeah. they they they'd built and so forth. So I tried to focus on that, and I I came up with the idea of a prosperity cult. I thought, okay, people are going to be lost. They're going to be looking for. Um, looking to recover their 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 livelihoods and their incomes and their 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 destroyed financial positions and so forth. So um this is a book about uh an itinerant prosperity cult that settles in this in this in, in, in Bad Axe County. It's been being hounded, it's been hounded across the country by law enforcement officers. Uh and they settle into uh an abandoned uh, mini storage facility and start living in the storage lockers um and fanning out to work in the community um and bring their wages back to their prophet uh who who is a prosperity prophet who who sort of cherry picks the Bible and and the Bible according to his says that God wants you to be rich. Hmm. And um his Acolytes, you know, basically submit their income to him and he invests it and they're all going to get rich. So these people show up in Heidi, Sheriff Heidi Kick's community, uh, and start um camping out in a in a in a mini storage facility, living in it, basically, which you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no there's no sanitary facilities, there's no running water, there's nothing. And so she she's in this. Awkward position where she's got these very vulnerable people, obviously, um, who are being exploited, uh, and it's her job to take care of them because they're in her county. Hmm. Um, and at the same time, she's got a lot of people in the county want these people out. They fear them um, and they want them gone, and they want her to 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 basically uh, drive them out. And so she's in this interesting position where she's trying to balance the demands of um, locals who want these strange people driven out of the community at all costs and these and her her legal and ethical obligation to protect these people so in that in that in that vein um one of those uh one one member of this prosperity cult uh turns up dead and that's the that's the um know the start of the story and uh one of the a little bit of a spoiler the prosperity cult has been infiltrated by some uh con ex-convicts who have gotten out who've been actually recruited by the cult leader to do a very specific thing and have infiltrated uh this cult and one of them uh was put in jail years ago by heidi kick Uh aha so the plot thickens right so there, there you have it. That's about all I'm going to tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that's interesting. It takes, place,
1: it takes place on Thanksgiving. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. I've always been interested in cults um, and the mindset of people who uh, get drawn into them and how brainwashing and mind control and all this stuff happens. And so it sounds like something that kind I, of...
1: I Me I, too. And I did a lot of research in fascinating research on cults um you know uh everything for, i don't do remember when the when the rajneeshis tried to take over a county in oregon yeah yeah I'll there's a there. there's an amazing documentary about that A whole series and and so there's that and there's there's Jonestown, and there's heaven's um, gate and all these things it's really yeah it's really interesting to look into that all and and see what it's what it's like and I think one of the things that one of the one of the a big theme of this book is Waco, hmm. the the Branch Davidian complex in Waco, Texas, that was basically burned to the ground by the federal government and with with people inside, including children. And so, a big part of the the tension in this novel is this could happen here hmm. if Heidi Kick doesn't figure out how to. How to avoid
0: it. Yeah, how to resolve things. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned Jonestown, uh, I thought of uh, my first novel, actually, one of the subplots has to do with uh, a character who survives Jonestown, who's ten mm. year old, a uh, 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 10-year-old child at the time. And so I was able to track down one of the three people who uh, actually did walk out of Jonestown and survive um, back when I was writing the book interviewed him about what it was like to be there it was just chilling and fascinating and and so i tried to weave some of that into the story so mm-hmm. yeah pretty pretty crazy stuff man now um now that we're talking about crazy stuff <laughs> well, i'm i'm just going to ask what's your favorite book or movie about an author who goes crazy or has a crazy fan go after him
1: I avoid those. I don't know. Are you are you are you you consuming that kind of literature? I I don't do that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't. I uh, you know. I I I guess I I I guess I really do kind of avoid that. Now that I think about it. Yeah. I mean, I I can I can think about. I would I would have to go back to The Shining. Yeah. Probably. Um, I know Stephen King has another book about that, right? Doesn't he have a book about an author living in a cabin somewhere where where What's that
0: one? You know, Misery. Yeah, Misery, Misery. is that it. Um, yeah. Well, he gets a uh, author gets abducted by a crazy fan and things do not go well. So <laughs> Yeah, no, that's interesting. Do you stuff. have a
1: favorite?
0: I mean, those two come to mind actually. You know, The Shining is um, you know, Stephen King is not happy with the original Shining. I think they redid it at some point. I never saw that, but but uh, I mean, Misery, I think Misery won an Academy award. I know at least Kathy Bates did for best actress. So, yeah. um, but, uh, no, I, I just, just
1: figured I'd it's have, it's like, I had this it's idea. too close I'm, to home, Stephen. It's too close. I know, to home. Right? Writing, writing is really, really difficult like, and, and really lonely and the stakes are high. Yeah. Uh, the rewards are low generally. And, and, you know, I, I think it's, it, I think, any any of us who think we can write novels are half crazy to begin with. Um, and and so, yeah, it's a little too close to home. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, so you've also written screenplays. Um, now, would you say there are storytelling principles that pretty much apply to both novel writing and feature length screenplays? Or I know there's some differences in, in style and so on, but... Are there any storytelling kind of principles that you say you know? What this is pretty universal, actually.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that because that's something that I really believe. I think that, that my experience writing screenplays was really instructive and important mm. in terms of writing novels in two ways. One is we've already talked we've already talked about it. it's the showing, not telling, and you have to show in a the screenplay. There's no there's no other way. So screenwriting forces you to make every idea, every emotion, uh, every motivation, every 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 perspective consequence, et cetera, it forces you to make that all visual.
0: Mm,
1: yeah. Um or you know, something can be seen or heard. Um so I think that that for starters, I think the the scene construction is is the way scenes are constructed around conflict and around the idea of um uh late in early out. Hmm. In other words, take a scene uh, and if it was a screenplay scene, you cut off the first 30% and last 30%. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the scene. Uh so there's that concept. And then the other thing that I really uh that that I really learned from screenwriting is the whole concept of a a story is about a character in conflict who as a consequence of the conflict forms a goal and the story is the obstacles that occur along the path to the goal and the resolution is that the story the character never in most stories doesn't quite achieve the goal the character aspires to a and ends up at f Hmm. um and then finally the the structural principles the idea of um a, a hook and uh, three acts and pl- plot points, two plot points where there are significant uh, major twists that change the direction of the story and so forth. All those things have, have been tremendously influential to me in writing novels.
0: Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I feel like,, um, you, sometimes it feels to me like there's a novel writing realm and people kind of who study novel writing and writing, and then screenplay realm, and it doesn't seem like there's as much overlap between the two of them as I would have expected. And people who study, you know, filmmaking very often do, you know, teach three act structure and so on. And and novels, novel teaching, not as much, although sometimes now it's becoming more common. But But it's almost like I feel like there isn't as much cross germination between the two as there could be.
1: Yeah, I don't know about, to me, it's, they're, they're, they're all part of the same thing, honestly, I think, I I really think about my stories, the way, in the same way that I think about screenplays, they don't work out that way, because they're novels, but, but Mm -hmm. in terms of, of the way you create and sustain tension, and the way you, you, you handle the arc of a story, and the arc of character, and so forth, but to me, those are, they're the same.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, um, this has been, I really appreciate your, your time coming on. It's been really informative. I really, I feel like people will, uh, whether they're, you know, writers or storytellers of any kind, really be be able to benefit from all of the insights that you shared and your new book sounds really intriguing. And I want to, I want to find out about the cult, (laughs) the prosperity cult in your story. So before we close up, I have just started in the last couple of weeks asking two closing questions just for fun. So I'm going to shoot them your way and we'll see what your thoughts are. But the first is, what's the one novel besides your latest one that everyone should read before they die? Of mine? Oh, no, any novel. of any, any novel.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, my God. you should warn me about this because uh usually it's going to be the latest one i read (laughs) oh yeah no kidding okay i'm just going to say uh uh, kent Haruf, uh plain song plain song interesting not a not a crime novel i don't generally read crime novels but yeah uh, this is a uh he's got a whole uh bunch of novels that are written about rural colorado they're they're quiet they're beautiful they're character driven they're they're really exquisite novels plain song i think won national book award or 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 something um but it's uh, wow. kent, kent haruf h-a-r-u-f
0: i'm writing it down even as we speak <laughs> and then my second question is what's the one thing you wish you could have you could tell your younger self back when you were a teenager.
1: In regard to writing, it could be life or the meaning okay. of, life or writing. Yeah, because anyway. I, I can, I have the answer to that one. I, oh, cool. uh, succeeding at anything is a whole lot harder than you think.
0: Hmm, yeah.
1: And it requires a whole lot more effort and determination and refusal to give up and sacrifice, et cetera, then, then you would think, and it's all worth it. But when you're young, you just have no clue uh, how hard you have to work to get good at something, hmm. to, to master something. And and that's what I would tell myself, because I, I always look back on myself as a, I, I was an athlete when I was younger and and had no clue until much later in life how, what, what a really successful athlete, like a really successful baseball player or something, mm. how much, you know, how much, how much they worked at that. Yeah. You know, how much, how much time and commitment. And, and so I had no clue at the time I do now. And I've applied that knowledge to myself as a writer. Excellent. Yeah. I refuse to underestimate how difficult this is. I refuse to underestimate how much I need to put into it to be successful. And if I could get that idea across to anybody who was 16, first of all, I'd be a genius, but that's never happening. <laughs> if, if, if I could inject that idea into myself as a 16 year old, um, that'd be a huge breakthrough. Yeah.
0: Very cool. That's good. Well, um, John, thanks for being here and I um, appreciate your insights, like I said. And just um, I'm excited about your new book. So, congratulations. Thanks, you. Uh, Is there a place online where you'd like to direct people if they want to find out more about you, your stories, your books, maybe a a website or social
1: uh, media? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, My website, uh, www.johngalligan.com. They can find out about all my books there. They can find out about my events. They can find out about the upcoming release of Bad Day Breaking. Uh, That'd be the best place to start.
0: Fantastic. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for um, tuning in, listening, and for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews. You can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or you can always click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember,
1: the art of the story is all in the blend.
0: Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.